I'm glad you're here today. Today, I want to tell you something you need to hear. I'm going to tell you something, listen, that God wants you to hear. I'm sure of that. And I'm going to tell you something today that the world, our lost and dying world, needs you to hear. Now, listen, it is something that, that I really did not hear growing up. Uh, really, it's something that we do not hear a lot today in our, in our messages, in our, in our churches today. And maybe it's something we would rather not hear. In fact, I'm pretty sure when I say it here in a moment, there may be some of us here that would say, oh, good grief, not that, not that again. But I want to tell you this. I believe God called you here, brought you here to hear this this morning. The testimony of the Bible, the testimony of God's own word is, if you are saved, if you've trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you are saved, your primary purpose in existence until you die or until Jesus comes back, your primary purpose and your natural response to the gospel is to tell people about Jesus Christ. Your primary purpose as a saved person until Jesus comes again is to tell people about Jesus Christ. That is why you are here. That is why we exist. You know, no one ever really told me that. Now, that may have been implied in some sermons sometime. There may have been some sermon about a missionary or something, and, and that may have been implied at times. But honestly, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to level with you. I was taught, and, I, and I'm sure it was in good intentions, that the purpose as living as a believer is to do good. And we had a whole bunch of verses and a whole bunch of Bible studies about the, the purpose as living as a living as a believer is to act right or to, to try and to do better. And you know what? Whatever you're doing now, you can try and, and you can do better. And I was taught the purpose of living as a believer was to go to church was to have a, a checklist or a set of rules that I needed to keep and, and follow, maybe for sure not to embarrass my parents. And the purpose of living as a Christian was to, to read your Bible and learn to read your Bible or, or to pray and to be a good believer until Jesus came again. You know, no one ever really clearly told me that you exist to lead people to Jesus. I knew we had preachers that would do that. I knew there were some folks in our church that they might get geared up and do that. But no one ever clearly told me, you exist to lead people to Jesus. And so let me be very clear today on this Sunday morning. Friend, as a follower of Jesus Christ, you exist to lead people to Jesus. Today our message is entitled, The Radical Response. The Radical Response. We're going to continue in Acts chapter 9, verses 18 through 25. The Radical Response. Acts chapter 9, verses 18 through 25. I'm going to ask if you would, if you'd stand with me in the honor and the reverence of the reading of God's Word. Acts chapter 9, beginning in verse 18. And immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales. And he regained his sight and got up and, he was, and was baptized. And he took food and was strengthened. Now for several days he was with the disciples who were at Damascus. 
And immediately he began to proclaim Jesus in the synagogues, saying, He is the Son of God. All those hearing him continued to be amazed and were saying, Is this not he who in Jerusalem destroyed those who called on this name and who came here for the purpose of bringing them bound before the chief, the chief priests? But Saul kept increasing in strength and confounding the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that this Jesus is the Christ. When many days had elapsed, the Jews plotted together to do away with him. But their plot became known to Saul. They were watching the gates day and night so that they might put him to death. But his disciples took him by night and led him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a large basket. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we come today, and I'm thankful, first off, for the truth that your word tells us in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, that there's going to be the blast of a trumpet and the voice of an archangel, and you will come. And those that who have, who have passed on in Christ are coming with you. And we will meet you in the air, and together we will be reunited. And so, Lord, I'm thankful for that midnight cry. Lord, we praise you for a hope that endures, a peace that endures today. Lord, I pray now as we begin to study your word, as we've come, as we've gathered to worship you, and now as we have your word laid open in front of us, I pray, Lord, that you would speak. And I pray that it would be a supernatural thing. And I pray that you would have our minds and our hearts and our attention. And I pray that we would be shaped, built, equipped in this hour. Lord, I pray for a supernatural movement of God, even in this hour. Lord, I pray for some, maybe many here that do not know you. I pray that in the preaching of the gospel, the hearing of the gospel, that today may be the day of their salvation. Lord, we come on this day and we lift up our hands and say we love you, we worship you, we exalt you, we praise you. You are our King and our Lord, our Savior. And we pray in your name, in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. We've been studying across the book of Acts. In the last few weeks, we have looked at Saul, the terrible persecutor of the church, and his confrontation with Christ on the road to Damascus. And we looked at that account. We looked at his, his conversion, that he received Jesus by faith, the same way that any of us are saved, by faith in Jesus Christ, he is saved. And we looked at his call to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. He is a special instrument set aside unto God to declare the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it has been a marvelous account. Those couple of weeks, it has been a tremendous account looking at the call and the conversion of Saul. Well, the, the question then would become, so what happens next? With that kind of start, and can you imagine how, how tremendous, how awesome that start is? The, the question has to be, well, with that kind of start, what would happen next? What, what is next in store? What happens next? Well, one of the things I like about the book of Acts is it tells you what happens next. And if, if you've noticed as we've read through the book of Acts, it is this flow of what happens in the formation of the church, the star of the church. As we read through Acts, we see that this happened. And then after that, we see that this happened. And then later after that, we see the next thing that happened. We see that this has happened. 
And, and it is the account of what happens next. So today the account continues. And here in the, in the, in the account of Saul, we're going to see what happens next. Now, for context, I've backed up again uh, to verse 18 in the first half of verse 19. Let's start there again this morning. And immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales. And he regained his sight and got up and was baptized. First half of verse 19, and he took food and was strengthened. That's the context setting us up for our verses today. Now, for our verses today, starting with the rest of verse 19. Now, for several days, he was with the disciples who were at Damascus. Our, our verses start today. Now, for several days, he was with the disciples who were at Damascus. Now, the literal translation of that is for some days. Now, for several days is what my translation says, but the, the literal translation is for some days. Another literal translation is for an amount of days. And so, for some days, for an amount of days. Now, we're not sure how many days. We're not told exactly how many days. In verse 23, it's going to say that it was many days, but for some days, for an amount of days, see how crazy this is. For some days, he was with the disciples who were at Damascus. Now, I want you to see that, and I want you to be very clear in that picture. Those that he went to get, those that he went to bind up and take back to Jerusalem, those were the disciples at, at Damascus, those that he burned in his hatred for them, those that he wanted them silenced, honestly, those that he wanted them dead like Stephen, those disciples at Damascus, now he is with them, the Bible says, for some days. Can you imagine that? And I, I, I may be weird, but I was thinking about that. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine what they talk about during those days? Maybe it's awkward at first. Maybe it's, it's, it's scary at first. But as they spend time and as they spend more time, as they become acquainted, can you imagine what they talk about? Maybe Saul asked Ananias, how did you become a believer? What, what was it that turned you? When did, when did you understand that Jesus is the Christ, and, and Ananias can't wait to tell him, and he says, well, you know, it happened like this, and he begins to tell him, and maybe after Ananias finishes, Saul looks at somebody else, and he says, and how did you become a believer? What was the turning point for you? When did you understand who Jesus was? And this disciple was excited, and he said, well, you know, it happened like this. I ran into a guy, and he began to tell me this, and he tells him his story as well. And they began, I imagine, to talk to Saul. And maybe Saul asked him, did, did any of y'all ever see Jesus? Did any of you hear him actually teach? Maybe you were, you were traveling. Did any of you actually hear the teaching of Jesus? And maybe somebody says, well, you know, I had a friend who was somewhere and they saw this. And they began to discuss their faith. They began to talk as brothers. They began to talk as disciples. Now for several days he was with the disciples who were at Damascus. Verse 20. 
And immediately he began to proclaim Jesus in the synagogues, saying, He is the Son of God. Now, verse 20 is a big verse. It says, and immediately. It, it translates, at that point. At that point, not a little bit removed, not some distance down the road. Right then, immediately, at that point. Having received Jesus, verse 20 tells us he began to preach Jesus. I want you to get this, and I want you to hear it very, very carefully, clearly this morning. Be sure of this. If you know enough of the gospel to be saved, then you know of the, enough of the gospel to tell people how to be saved. Hear that again. That's very important. Understand that. Be confident in that. If you know enough of the gospel to be saved, then you know enough of the gospel to tell folks also how to be saved. Friends, we've got some idea today that we need some more information. You know what? I'm not going to be able to do that because I'm missing some of the information. We think, you know what? We need some time to pass. We need to get a little bit further down the road. Maybe we need to go to school and maybe I need to go to seminary for that or maybe I'll never be ready for that. Somebody else is going to have to do it. When the reality is, and we ought to shout this in our churches if you are saved, if you know enough to be saved, you know enough to tell someone how to be saved. Yes, we want to continue to learn. It's important. Yes, we want to spend inordinate amounts of time in God's Word. It is necessary. Yes, we want to grow in our knowledge and in our faith. But understand, it is a hoax. It is a cop-out to say, I cannot do it. If you know enough of the gospel to be saved, you know enough of the gospel to tell somebody how to be saved. It says immediately, he began to proclaim. Now, that phrase, he began to proclaim, is actually one single word in the original language, in the Greek language. It is a word that means he began proclaiming. He began heralding. That's what it translates. He began announcing. That's the core of that word. He began announcing. And immediately, he began announcing. See this. It says, And immediately, he tried to live in a way that others would see Jesus. It says, And immediately, he tried to take up as many causes that folks would be impressed with Jesus. Immediately, he, took, he bought a t-shirt so that everyone would know that he belonged to Jesus. That's what it says. Doesn't say that at all. It says immediately he announced, he heralded the gospel of Jesus. Now, I want to tell you that, that word for heralded, that word for announced, it is a public announcing. And so here's the picture. It's, it's not somebody that says, you know what, I'm going to squeak by, and if you rub into me enough and squeeze me enough, and if you get me in the right circumstance, I might hint about this. It is a person, the actual picture, that deliberately goes to the public place, that goes to the gate of the city where everybody's gathered, 
Here is the synagogue who sets up a box, who steps up on the box and begins to announce something. That is what the word means. And so immediately he begins to announce Jesus Christ. It says in the synagogue, the Jewish worship center. And his message is, it says he is saying, Jesus, he is the son of, of God. And so his message there in this crowded place, Jesus, he is the son of God. Now, I think it's a pretty interesting thing that this book, the account of Acts is written by Luke. And so this title is only used one time in the book of Acts. It wasn't a phrase that was common to Luke. However, it was a title that Paul uses often that Paul uses extensively in his writing, but here when it's talking about Paul, it says that his message is, he is the son of God. Now this is a title that means, and they would have known it very quickly, they would have understood it, the Messiah, the son of God. That's the Messiah. They, they know that from their upbringing. It means the anointed one, the one that's marked by God. It also means as the son of God, Deity, he is God. And so it's talking about the Savior from God who is God. It is talking about God the Savior, God the one that is your salvation. That is the title that he uses. He is the Son of God. He says Jesus is that one. Now see what has happened here. Coming to town, his message was, we're looking for the Messiah. Now his message is, in Jesus, we have found the Messiah. Coming to town, his message was, Jesus is a liar and a fraud. Now in town, his message is, Jesus is God himself. Coming to town, his message is, we've at all costs got to stop this movement of faith but now he goes before the synagogue and he calls them to faith in Jesus. And the persecutor becomes the preacher. The hater now becomes the herald and the enemy now becomes in the city of Damascus an evangelist. And that is the natural response to his being saved. Do you see that? Do you see the steps to that? And immediately that's what he began to do. That is the natural, normal response to his being saved. Immediately, it is what he does. Friend, when did the response to being saved, when did the response to our Savior Jesus, when did the response to such a glorious salvation become living good lives? When did the response to the gospel become complacency and comfort? And that is our goal. When did the response to the, to the Savior that we have become being satisfied and being silent in the hope that we possess? The response to having received the gospel, according to Scripture, according to the historic account, is that those who have received the gospel cannot stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. Peter and John, Acts 4.20. For we cannot stop speaking about what we have seen 
and heard. Why have we quit speaking about it? Why have we gone silent? Why are we content to say, well, I, I've heard the gospel and I'm saved by the gospel, but you know what? Somebody else will have to share that gospel. Why have we quit speaking about it in the pattern of our speech? Verse 21. All those hearing him continued to be amazed and were saying, Is this not he who in Jerusalem destroyed those who called on this name and who had come here for the purpose of bringing them bound before the chief priests? Verse 21 says, All those that were hearing were amazed. Now that, that word means like they were struck by lightning. They were astonished. Those that are hearing what his message is, they are amazed. And they say, is this not he? Now, it's a rhetorical question. They know who he was. They know what he had done. They know who it is. Is this not he who in Jerusalem destroyed? The word for destroyed means ravaged, laid waste to, did away with, destroyed. Is this not the one who destroyed those who called on the name of Jesus and has he not come here for the exact same purpose to bind us up and carry us away? For two weeks in a row, the truth is this. You cannot be saved and not be changed. That's the truth of Scripture. That's, what, that's, what, that's the truth of the gospel. You cannot be saved and not be changed. Paul, again, he's the guy that writes, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. That's what he says. They are a new creation. The old has passed away. He makes it very clear. Take a look at me. The old has passed away. Behold, take a look. The new has come. Folks, praise the Lord. We are new in Jesus Christ. We are changed in receiving the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you cannot be saved and not be changed. So are we living as new creations? You see, we're new in Christ. But the question is, are we walking as new creations? Are we changed in our speech? Are we changed in our attitudes? Are we changed in how we do our business dealings? And if not, here's the question. Why would we be made new in Christ and ever go back to the world's ways? Why would we be made new, forgiven, redeemed, restored, set right, a new heart's what the Bible says. Why would you ever receive that and think the world has anything that's attractive? Why would you ever go back to the world's ways? He is new in Christ. Is this not the one? Yes, it is the one. Praise the Lord. He is Changed. Verse 22. Best verse of the set coming up. Here it is. But Saul kept increasing in strength and confounding the Jews who lived at Damascus by proving that this Jesus is the Christ. Every word of that's important. But Saul kept increasing in strength and confounding the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that this Jesus is the Christ. Now, this is a very interesting verse. It is a great verse 
In verse 21, it says, all who heard were amazed. Every person who heard, they were amazed. But in verse 22, it says, the Jews who heard are confounded. It is confused. It means they are stumped. They can't understand. All were amazed, but the Jews, verse 22, they are confounded. Because, get this, he is proving that this Jesus is the Christ. Now listen, they had spent a long time looking for the Christ, looking for the Messiah. And he is proving that this Jesus is the Christ. Now this is a great verse. This is a very telling verse. God is so wise. God is, God is infinite in his wisdom. He, he knows what he is doing. And, and Acts records here that, that Saul is proving, he is proving. Now that word for proving, listen to this, it means to join or to put together. Saul is joining, he is putting together. What it means is he is fitting it together. He is piecing it together. That is a huge understanding, especially when you understand who he's talking to. To these Jews, he is piecing it together that this Jesus is the Christ. Now, there's so much here. There's so much in that verse that I'm going to try to sum it up. He is telling these Jews the promise that was made to Eve that her seed would crush the serpent's head is fulfilled in this Jesus. The Nazarene, this Jesus, this Jesus, he's the one that fulfills that. He is putting that peace in place. He is telling these Jews the ark, the salvation of Noah, the ark of deliverance. He, he tells these Jews that that is fulfilled. That was a, a type and a picture uh, of this Jesus and that he is our ark and those that are shut up in him will be delivered. Those that are shut up in him will be saved. And he's saying that is in this Jesus. He's piecing it together. He is telling these Jews Remember the promise he made to our father Abraham that through him all nations will be blessed. That to him and to his offspring that I will provide myself a lamb for redemption. That for him and to his heirs I will give them a promised land and I will dwell with them there in the promised land. Well, he is telling these Jews that that promise is kept, that that lamb is delivered, that that land is available in the person of Jesus, this Jesus. Beulah land, I'm longing for you. And someday, on thee I'll stand. He tells them that promise is fulfilled. There's going to be a land and God himself will be with his people and the lamb will be the light. He's telling them that's fulfilled. And this Jesus, he tells these Jews, remember when our fathers cried out for salvation. Remember when they called out for deliverance from bondage. Remember when he acted miraculously. Remember when he said in that process, listen very carefully. Remember Jews when he told you, I am the God who saves? Yahshua, 
I am the God who saves. Do you remember that? Do you remember that's how he announced himself to you? Yeshua in Hebrew, Joshua. Remember he said, I am your salvation. Well, now he has these Jews there in Damascus and he says, you know what? This Savior, this Jesus, this the one, the Nazarene, he is the one, his name is Jesus Yeshua, Yahshua, because he shall save his people from their sins. And there's no other name you should call upon, given among men, by which you must be saved. And it is this Jesus. He tells those Jews, you remember when, when God told your father David that he will not ever, not ever miss having an heir on the throne. And come what may, I will keep that promise. Well, he tells these Jews, and you can hear the echo of Pilate, as he asked Jesus, are you the king of the Jews? And he says, it is as you say, for this I was born. Jesus is the king. This is our king. It is this Jesus. And he goes on and on and on with these Jews. And he goes to the prophets. And he goes to Elijah and Elisha and the passing of their mantle. He goes to Isaiah and the word of the suffering servant. He goes to Jeremiah, who in his many tears tells of a righteous branch, a coming Messiah. He goes to Ezekiel, the one that says God is just and He will deliver justice, but He's gracious and He'll deliver mercy and that will only reconcile in God. He's telling them of that. He's telling them of Daniel, the Ancient of Days. He tells them of Hosea, the one that points to a Redeemer who will not give up. He will not give up. And though the sickness of their sin, the shame of their sin, He will be gracious to them and He will buy them back. And page by page and word by word, he leads them to Jesus. Oh, but friends, understand it's not just any Jesus. It is this Jesus, the promise of God, this Jesus, the hope of all men, this Jesus, the Savior for sinners, this Jesus. And he tells them of our Jesus. Can you imagine he tells them of our Jesus. God is so wise. Who better to do it than an expert in the Scripture? Who better to do it than a student of each word of the law? Who better to do it than a Pharisee who can see the shortfall of his own righteousness? He knew he fell short. Who better to do it than a sinner that would call himself, I'm the chief of all of these, the biggest sinner of them all. Who better to do it than Saul? And in his perfect choice, he chooses Saul. Praise the Lord, he's so wise. But Saul kept increasing in strength and confounding the Jews who lived at Damascus by proving that this Jesus is the Christ. Verse 23. When many days had elapsed, the Jews plotted together to do away with him. But their plot became known to Saul. They were also watching the gates day and night so that they might put him to death. Verse 25. But his disciples took him by night and let him down through an opening in the wall Lowering him in a large basket. Craziest thing is this. They hate him. Isn't that the craziest thing? Craziest thing. He says, you know what? Let me tell you where he was born and why he was born. Let me tell you who he is and what he is. Let me tell you who his granddad was. Let me tell you what tribe he's from. 
He, he lines it up for them. And the crazy thing is, they hate him so much that they do not sleep. They watch the gate day and night, and they plot to kill him. How could they not see? How could they not love the message that he brings? They plot to kill him. I'm going to stop right there this morning. I want to ask the question. Friend, how could our response, I'm talking about you and I, how could our response be anything else but to speak what we've seen and heard? How in the world could we be any less impressed than Saul was when he began to immediately preach the gospel? How can we sit here today and be any less impressed? How in the world can our response be silence? Dear God, forgive us for that. Dear God, make us bold in the proclamation of your word. And let it be said of saved, redeemed sinners by the grace of a powerful God. And immediately they began to proclaim Jesus. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come. We're thankful for you. We're thankful for the truth of your message. We're thankful for the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ that we have the forgiveness of our sins, that we have hope, that we have peace. Lord, I'm thankful for the word of God and acts that, that, cha- that trains us, that, that we ought to be diligent in sharing the good news. Lord, help us to have eyes to see as, as the world craters and caves and is hurt and is dying, is perishing, that we have to proclaim. How would we not proclaim this good news, Lord? Lord, I pray for some here that are, that are, maybe they're putting these pieces together For the first time, I pray that today they would receive you as their Lord and their Savior. I pray that you would move in their hearts. Lord, I pray the result of of both of those things would be a multitude of people that honor you, that bring you glory, submitting to you in salvation, trusting you for their salvation. Lord, we love you today. We praise you today. We exalt you today. We worship you today. Today. Lord, in this time of invitation, I ask that you speak, that you lead, that you move, that you're glorified. We give it to you. And I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.